0: welcome to leading the next generation with tim elmore i am your co-host andrew mcpeak and our mission here at growing leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life welcome back podcast listeners this is andrew with me as always dr tim elmore How are you today, Tim? I'm very well. How about you? I'm doing great. Good. I'm excited about today's conversation. We're talking about leading disengaged young people, specifically with this idea of a social contract. And we're going to get into what that means. But disengaged youth are everywhere. And this idea of what do we actually owe to one another is a big topic right now. Yeah, it really is.
1: I will admit at the onset, I was a little bit of a rebel. I had my years as an adolescent. So I do understand both sides of this issue, but listeners, I want you to pay really close attention. I know you might be multitasking right now, but this is such an important concept to somehow impart to the emerging generation the idea of a social contract. So, um, Andrew, I, I, if you don't mind, I want to kick it off. I with would a love to. Yeah. Um, uh, this past school year, there were two young people that were graduating school, and we're all excited about their graduation. Yeah. That's a milestone but um, they decided to have a party. The, it's a male and a female. Okay. They're not boyfriend, girlfriend, but they're very close friends, kind okay. of just buddies. Yeah. And they said, let's do a party to end all parties. Okay. So they come up with an invitation that was a little bit, um, may I call it inappropriate? Would that be an adjective? <laughs> risqué, Yeah, a little risqué. Okay. Yeah, a little bit uh, like leaving a little too little to the imagination. <laughs> So in the photograph, it looks like they have no clothes on. Okay. Now they do, I'm sure, but they're kind of standing behind a wall and you, it just looks like, holy moly. It's, it's meant to be a joke and that's right. people laugh That's right. It's meant to it be a joke. This yeah. is supposed to be funny. But anybody, dare I say, over 40 years old is going, OMG, what are you doing? What you is know? happening? Yeah, yeah, what's happening? You are good kids. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. So when they when they shared with me what they were up to... I smiled, tried not to freak out, and and I just said, you think that's going to go over well with all the people you're inviting? Because yeah. they're going to invite peers, but they're also going to invite parents, aunts, uncles, friends of parents, you know, the people that give nice gifts
0: exactly.
2: at graduation yeah, parties.
1: Yeah. So they go, oh, yeah, they're all going to love it. They're all going to love it. So um, in fact, this is not unlike a family story that I experienced not very very long ago. So I said next to them this statement. I said, well... Um, Can I just dare a comment? I think you both have visibility on those under 40 years old. I think I've got visibility on those over 40 years old. Mm. And it may be Off-putting to them. They may feel like this is inappropriate. And they're not even judging, but it may affect their response. Those gifts you want to get, the money you wanted to get. If they're wondering, first of all, what kind of graduation party is it? Do we all wear something or not? You know? (laughs) And I'm being silly here, but I don't think they were understanding the message they were sending, which perhaps violated. The social contract. Yeah. So we'll explain listeners in just a minute this term that's been around for centuries now, but we never talk about it. Yeah. And I think it's being violated all the time by the emerging generation, not only the emerging generation, but because there, there's antisocial behavior going on all the time. We call yeah. them criminals. Yeah. This is a small dink yeah. on the social contract, but enough that if they if they only knew what was going on internally on those people that actually cared about them, but they were sending the wrong message it may have uh, it may have sabotaged what they wanted to
0: have yeah. happen and there's two ways it's often broken right it's either broken unintentionally or intentionally sure. right yeah. and in this case i think they were doing it unintentionally they didn't realize Uh, the effect it might have. A lot of people realize it and think, I'm going to push the boundaries here.
1: Who gives a rip. Exactly.
0: But in neither case do they understand the full implications, often especially if it's young people. Now, it's worth adding an asterisk here to say, uh, certainly just because a kid is young does not mean they're going to be rebellious and all of those kinds of things. We see this in maybe limited examples. Yes. But I think it's specifically in the case of kids who are either disengaged or who are sort of veering off of the path of normal, um, normal adulthood or normal uh, adolescence, for those kids, it's hard to help them know. When you've got somebody who thinks, oh, this will be fun, it's hard to help them figure out how to come back, right? You you even kind of referenced yeah. it, but so much of great leadership is often going, huh, not freaking out, you know, yes. <laughs> and yes. asking interesting yeah. questions and then yeah. going, might I just offer, right? And that's really what we're talking about Yeah, today. we're talking about
1: leading with good questions. Yeah. So I'll be really, really honest now. As I look back at the history of my career, I think I've seen four generations, each of which had their own rebellion. Yeah. Okay, small or big. Yeah. So baby boomers, my generation, in the 60s, just you guys, even if you weren't around in the 60s, think about what you learned about the 60s. It was a time of revolt and protest and demonstrations. It was a younger generation rebelling against the social norms and violating the social contract in yeah. many ways. Okay. Then the Xers came through, a little more jaded generation, right? A little more cynical. And of course, they had their own rebellion. It was more isolation than, than the demonstrations that took place with the boomers. But again, it was revolting against community and social norms in their own way. Then the millennials came through. That's your generation. Mm-hmm. In your own way, you, your generation was very civic minded, but in your own way, you had some protests. And I mean, even after the turn of the century, you were young adults, but you that's when you really began to chime in and say, yep. Black Lives Matter and yeah. other things. Especially which, yeah.
0: post-2008, a yes, lot of things changed.
1: Yes, that's so true. Yeah. And now Gen Z, which I think is a little bit more like Gen X, their parents, yep. a little bit more skeptical, a little less trusting of institutions. Yep. But what I'm illustrating listeners is not, kids today, they're
0: the worst
1: Hey, we all were kind of the worst as young kids, (laughs) but the thing I want us to tune in on is the social contract piece. If we can somehow teach this to our kids, that it's an unwritten, sometimes unspoken reality that if we understand it, life works better for us. Yeah. And if we fail to understand it, we keep bumping ourselves up against a wall and wondering, why are people so mad at me all the time? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm mad at them. did doesn't have to be this way.
0: Yeah. If we could only understand the kind of broader or really yeah. underlying actually yes. implications of what's really going on. So we said, this is not every student um, that we're experiencing, but it does happen, right? And I think you came across one student who was kind yes. of an example of this.
1: It's a good example because it's everyday example. It's not yeah. like the protester that's you know burning buildings yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that. So in, in my experience, most students are not troublemakers, mm-hmm. most, okay? Uh, there's not antisocial behavior going on in every one of the 59 million Gen Zers. Yeah. But between 2020 and 2022, these students endured a quarantine, uh, masks at school, social distancing, and even mental health challenges that went to a whole nother level with relatively few incidents in schools. I mean, if you look at the broad, wow, that was pretty, we did pretty well, Yeah. okay? Recently, however, now that we've kind of come back to school, students have boldly disrupted many campuses across the country and really the world. And one high school student, uh, Heidi, is an illustration, okay? So Heidi exploded one afternoon in the school lunchroom. All right? A teacher had encouraged her to wear appropriate attire for days, but Heidi was a rebel who continued to assert that her clothes and tattoos and piercings were all part of her quote-unquote identity. Yeah, We hear this all the time. When the faculty reiterated the dress code and asked her why she was so belligerent, she screamed at them as if they had assaulted her. Mm, and this personally often Personally attacked. Yeah. yeah, that's right. By the way, it's not just young people. We see old people.
0: That we do. That's right. Okay.
1: Yeah. In fact, in this case, Heidi, and we're going to call her Heidi. It's not her real name. Heidi began cursing at them and insisting they had no right to tell her what to wear or what to do. And and, and again, every school would say, yep, we have a Heidi. We, we, We have this. So here's the question I want to pose. Where did Heidi get this idea? Yeah. Well, probably from her parents, neighbors, and peers in the community. You see, our culture today has worked hard to send the message to students that they are special. Unique individuals, and they should not let anyone take that away from them. I agree with that. They are unique. We're all unique. You and I are both unique. Absolutely. Okay. Um, They have rights, and we believe they do. Absolutely. Civil rights, children's rights, human rights. So far, so good. I'm all on board with that. This message has been blasted and posted everywhere in response to, I think, unhealthy cultural norms for centuries. Yeah. Where we didn't treat marginalized people well. Let's just be honest. For decades, like I said, many maybe centuries, society sent the message to kids uh, and to adults, for that matter, to simply blend in. Don't stand out. Blend in. Follow the rules. Don't make waves. Be like everyone else. And it wasn't very inspiring. <laughs> I wasn't inspired by that. Yeah. You know, stay in line. Yeah. Don't color outside the lines. Yeah. Nobody likes that message. Yeah. And we have an audacious Gen Zer or population of Gen Zers that would go, "I'm not going to do that." Yeah. Okay. So I feel like this is happening. And again, it's not all leading to crime, but it is leading to isolation and rebellion that I want to talk about here. Here's my concern in a nutshell. Maybe, just maybe, we've swung the pendulum so far the other direction from fitting in or yeah. blending in. We've created monsters. Yeah. More kids are isolated today and rebelling today. older generations than we have even seen, even with the boomers. And that was a big population back then that refused to go to Vietnam, and rightfully so maybe, but it's even a higher percentage today. Yeah.
0: Because when you add on to this growing trend and all the difficulties maybe that kids are facing, their desire for self-expression, you add on to that, as you've referenced already, the internet and technology that allows them to find people who will validate their individual expressions, right? right. It just is sort of like adding fuel to a small flame I've got. Somebody adds fuel to it and all of a sudden it becomes a wildfire, which I think it happens with students like Heidi and uh, others. It's so
1: true. So let me offer some symptoms of how people view humanity's social contract. By the way, that's the term we're using, humanity's social contract, OK? So believe it or not, this youth pendulum has swung back and forth for thousands of years. Yeah, this is not a new conversation. No. In fact, Socrates, believe it or not, in his believed that youth in his day were, quote, rebellious and disrespectful to parents. Isn't that funny?
0: <laughs> We've heard that before. And yeah. that was BC. Yes, you know? exactly. So crazy.
1: He used the argument of the social contract now, this is Socrates, Use the argument of the social contract as he explained to Crito why he should remain in prison and not escape. Hmm. He was arguing, and, and this is an inmate now, yeah. don't do that. And of course, John Locke wrote about it in the early days of America. French um, social scientists, English social scientists have all used this term in their own language. Yeah. We have a social contract to uphold. Yeah. Now, let me stop and add this here. We all obey it to a degree every day of our lives yeah. You and I both both drove on the right hand side of the road to get to work today. yeah um, That's part of the social contract. You didn't have to, yeah, but you might have had an accident. Yeah You might have had people waving waving certain fingers at you in the, on the road. <laughs> all kinds of things could have been happening yeah. because you didn't we all obey the laws because we don't want to go to
0: prison. We all
1: we all do things just to yeah. that's
0: the social contract. Even though there are things that might often we say that we might think that's a dumb law or yeah. that feels restrictive yes, of me that's exactly beyond right. what is necessary. But we we uh, settle into things, frankly, that are laws and also things that are not laws. Right? Yeah. We follow those things because we believe it's actually going to help us all get where we want to go together.
1: Yeah. So Thomas Hobbes, way back in French and, and in English history, along with John Locke, really gave a full treatment to this social contract theory uh, during the Enlightenment. And originally, Andrew, it was government and citizens. There's mm-hmm. this social contract that the government exists for the citizens, not the other way around. Yeah. And up until that point, <laughs> you're supposed to pay taxes. No, do it it day only day. worked one way. Yes. That's right. And the Enlightenment brought it out. Thank God. Yeah. But now we have so much thrown at us about individual rights, mm-hmm. we don't talk much about responsibility to the social contract that we have because of a community that we live in. Yeah. And I think that's what we're pressing for. It's not either or, it's both and. So Thomas Hobbes, John Locke uh, basically um, basically taught that everyone has the right to reject or embrace humanity's social contract. And most people find their answer somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm probably not the perfect citizen. Yeah. I do speed a little bit unwittingly sometimes. <laughs> I've Have seen a, you. Yes, your that's lead right. Foot. Yes, yeah. yes. You've prayed on the road, I'm sure. <laughs> But um, the point is, we meet somewhere in the middle. We're not perfect citizens, but yet we're not criminals. But I think it's important we talk to the emerging generation as they're forming and shaping their worldview. How are you going to do with this? How are you going to balance this social contract? Um, And I believe while a person who rejects this notion can survive, the returns they gain from a larger community really diminish. This couple that wanted to do the graduation part, uh, you might have missed out on some things that you might have gotten had you just been a part of a community rather than reject this thing. When a person leans away from the social contract, they remove incentive for
0: others to lean in. That's And that's the key truth here yes. that we're talking yeah. about, yeah. is the reason to lean into it, the reason to be a part of it, is because you want the benefits that come along with it. And I think the big issue for young people is they don't realize what benefits yes. they might be missing out on, right? They haven't been around long enough yeah. to realize the benefits that could be coming their way. That's
1: exactly right. So let me take a minute and kind of clarify what we're saying, and then we're going to wonder, well, how do we do this? Let's do it. So let's compare these two realities when we reject the social contract on one end of the f- spectrum. And then if we embrace the social contract on the other end. So okay. let's compare and contrast. So if I reject the social contract, I really play by my own rules. Yeah. Most of us as a teenager goes, I want to play by my own rules. Yeah, I
0: determine what's right.
1: Yeah. If I embrace the social contract, I play it by the rules of a larger community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't we all have a little bit of a in the middle thing there? Yes, okay? we do. If I reject the social contract, I find it difficult to express gratitude. I've watched symptomatically, it's a little bit tougher, not impossible, but a little bit tougher of being expressed gratitude because that says, I realize I need you, mom teacher, yeah. coach. That could be hard worker. for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. If I embrace the social contract, I find it natural to express gratitude. It's yeah. almost a symptomatic thing. Yeah. If I reject the social contract, I demand others respect my wishes. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't know a teenager that's demanding that others respect their wishes?
0: Happens all the time.
1: If I embrace it though, I make sacrifices on behalf of, of, of others. Okay. If I reject the social contract, I rarely express regret or apologies. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm acknowledging, oops, that means I uh, owe you something there, and I don't want to say I owe you something there. If I embrace the social contract, I often apologize and seek forgiveness. Yeah. If I reject the social contract, I live a bit as a loner and a maverick, possibly. Yep. If I embrace it, I enjoy unexpected support from others. That's why I would say to that couple go along with the community. You've got some nice gifts coming your way. Yeah. And it's not manipulation. It's just saying, I want to be a part of something yeah. bigger because I think I could enjoy some things I don't yet have. Yeah, And then a couple of others real quick. If I reject the social contract, I don't often admit that I'm wrong. If I embrace it, I... I often acknowledge my faults Mm. and I just realize, gosh, I'm just not always living up to what I should to my spouse, to my children or whatever. And then last but not least, if I reject the social contract, it's challenging for me to compromise. Mm. And if I embrace it, it's natural for me to compromise. So the reason I slow down on this one, folks listening, is how many adults did you see, especially during the pandemic, at school board meetings on little league baseball fields. It's like we're going ballistic over something that's so small, because we have rights. Stop it. Yeah. We, we're part of a bigger thing, and this is not compromising some lifelong principle because your son struck out on the ball field or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, please forgive me. I'm just thinking we've got to see something bigger than our own lives.
0: Yeah. Um, As I look at each one of these and think about the uh, implications, I can't. I'm I'm wondering if you know we're talking so much about the loneliness epidemic in our world. I wonder if uh, one of the implications of swinging hard on the pendulum toward that rejection of the social contract is is lowering that feeling of belonging. Yeah, I think it is. I don't feel like anybody understands me or whatever. I'm not arguing that's the main cause, but I'm just saying I wonder if that's a contributing factor. As more and more kids feel like I'm rejecting all of that, they feel like nobody's investing in. Well, you're not allowing them to, yes. right? You've said no to every social convention, so you don't feel socially engaged.
1: I think that's happening all the time. And it not only removes belonging, I think the attitude begins to develop in that kind of a young person. It's me against the world. Yeah. I'm me against the world. I'm yeah. a victim. Yep. And if I'm acting like a victim, I'm going to feel entitled to certain yep. perks because look at me, I'm a victim. So yeah. it's kind of bothersome there. Yeah. But Andrew, as I think about those two rejecting, embracing, I ask myself, which side do I exhibit most? It's a little of both. I yeah, hate to admit it. Yeah. But I think... Let me just say a mouthful here. And I, I want you to respond back to this. Remember, we talked about this as a team at one of our team times. And I think it was Eric that mentioned, I think it's a part of maturation. Yeah. When I'm really young and I'm immature, it's big, it's the world. As I grow older, I realize, ah, oh, I need people. Yeah. And I want people in my life for both support and accountability.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, one of the things that we talked about when we had our gathering is we're realizing that I think the, um, the norms of adulthood invite mm-hmm. more opportunities yes. yeah. for me to realize the benefits of being a part of a social yeah. world. Whereas if I'm a kid, so much happens to me, right? I go to school and my teacher teaches me something. All of that feels like something I'm forced to do rather yeah. than something I'm I'm sort of have a social relationship with, if yeah. that makes sense. But when I get older, right, and I have my first kid and I get my first yeah. job, I realize how beholden I am yeah. to the world around yeah. me, right? They gave me that job mm-hmm. or somebody helped take care of that or meet that need or help me fix my lawnmower or whatever that yeah, situation yeah. is, I just become, as I mature, more aware of how needy I actually yes. am of the social conventions around me. Totally. That's exactly it.
1: So we talk about embracing or rejecting the social contract. The answer is likely in the middle. Yeah. Depending on one's temperament, we find ourselves both in need of the support of others and in need of staying true to ourselves. That's really it. Yeah. We all want to be true to ourselves, but we all need the support of others. We've got to find a compromise. And that's what I think we need to teach to the next generation. To completely live outside of the social contract is to live as a hermit. Oh Yeah. To completely surrender to everyone else's wishes is to live as a doormat. Neither one are
0: right. I feel a habitude coming on, hermits and doormats. (laughs) So we all need boundaries, right? Yeah.
1: But where those boundaries lie depends on where we stand on this issue. Yeah. Some need support or validation more than others, so they, they're going to really give in. Yeah. And then some people need it less, so they're not going to give in as much. But we all tend to reap what we sow.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Andrew,
1: I know of a woman. Uh, I'm not going to share her name. She raised four children. They're all adults now. They're now young professionals. And while she was not a bad mother... Along the way, she chose not to make many of the sacrifices that moms make, tend to make
2: for their kids. Yeah.
1: Uh, she was busy working. She often was tired and somewhat demanding. And at times, she seemed unable to show empathy for the emotional needs of her offspring that they had over the years. Troublesome. Yeah. She was unavailable, mm. they would say today. Now in her 60s, she's reaping the outcomes of this lifestyle. Her adult children love her, but when she requests special attention on her birthday, her kids aren't very motivated to show it. Now they seem unavailable. Mm. If I could talk to this woman, I would say, don't you realize what's happened? Yeah. For years, for years, this is what you earned. Yeah. And it's not that you kids don't love you. They would all of course I love mom. Not gonna be there. Yeah. I'm busy, yep. you know, changing the air in my tires or something <laughs> like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm being silly here, but... Folks, I'm telling you, it's not just a young person thing. Yeah. How much are you willing to sacrifice if you want others to do it for her? This is really the law of reciprocity. Yeah. Uh, reciprocation, people giving reciprocal behavior. When someone models a bare minimum mindset, it's often reciprocated. That's what happened to this woman. Yeah. Life is a little bit like an echo. Uh, what we shout out is echoed back to us. It's like a garden. What blooms is what we've planted. And when we refuse to engage in the responsibilities of humanity's social contract, we won't enjoy the rewards.
0: This is such an important conversation because I think for a lot of young people, they don't understand right now why this is so valuable. But everything you just said is so true. Well, you're going to give us some practical ideas for how to teach kids this social contract, especially for a generation that struggles to understand it. But before we get there, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, listeners, Andrew here, and I want to tell you about a brand new ebook from your friend and mine, Dr. Tim Elmore, our founder. Now, we all know that today's young people are distrusting institutions and leaders in greater numbers than ever before. Often our individual preferences are taking precedence over the needs and preferences of those around us. Because of these realities, it can be difficult to know how to have conversations with our students about the importance of the social world around them. To aid you in leading this conversation, we are launching a brand new free resource called Lost and Found, leveraging humanity's social contract to support isolated students. We think you're going to love this brand new ebook. All you've got to do is click the link in the show notes to find out more about the release of this brand new resource. All right, listeners, we're back. Tim, you've got a couple ideas for us on how to actually pass this social contract idea onto our kids. Let's get into it.
1: So these are about four conversations uh, that we that I think we need to have. Number one, we need to teach them that there's such a thing as duty. Mm. Now that sounds ridiculously elementary, <laughs> but I know young adults that, w- that, that don't like it. Duty seems like a cuss word to them. It is yeah. a four-letter word, <laughs> yeah. okay? Yep. So for all the we want to do's, There will be some ought to do's that are not fun, but we need to do them. Activities we should embrace. And doing something you don't want doesn't mean you lose your sense of identity. It means you take into account others in your community. Um, I remember my wife and daughter talking about how my wife said, You ought to attend your your friend's wedding. You remember you grew up together, they haven't spent time together recently. She goes, No, I don't want to. And my wife was saying, You ought to. My daughter said, I don't want to. but And and really, to be honest with it, Bethany didn't have to, Yeah. but it was an ought to thing. And yeah. I think she needed to decide, how much of a duty do I want to embrace? Mm, that's good. Number two, help them see the larger benefits of belonging. Mm. We all say we like to belong to something, but sometimes not that bad if it means I got to violate my my own time and energy. So when we're selfish, we usually lose more than we gain. Yeah. Clarify the gains of a community. Yeah, the pandemic of loneliness and isolation, which is happening right now, is unnecessary. Marriage is the ultimate social contract. Indeed, it it's, is. You and I both married. Yeah, we make some sacrifices, uh, and then parenting is yeah. even more so because your child comes out, you know, selfish as <laughs> yeah. a baby. Yeah. So maturity is to act in light of the big picture. Eric was reminded me when we talked about this with our team. LeBron mm-hmm. James, great NBA star, started. Wanted to win an MVP as a young player to show he belonged in the NBA as a teenager? Yeah. And he did. But if you remember, he traded teams because he wanted to win a championship. I want to be a part of something bigger than yeah. me. Yeah. What well, if you remember that day, Cam brought up, well, what about Kobe Bryant? He didn't change teams, but the same thing happened. I'm talking about the internal journey. Yeah. He didn't have to change teams. He was on the Lakers for Pete's yeah. sake. He needed he, to, lead
0: to learn to be a team player. But he and Shaq
1: yeah. always fought. And they actually posted a YouTube video where they both acknowledged, I wish we would have been there for each other more. Mm. It was a growing up process for these two young, talented guys. So there's a community thing we all grow into if we do indeed mature. Number three, ask your young person, your child, your student, if everyone lived the way you want to, what kind of world would we have? Mm. That's a great question. I know that sounds like a mom. But when selfish moods arise, imagine the world if all of us lived this way all the time. Talk about it. Teen rebels usually become team players as they grow up. Um, yeah. Um, I think I talked to you about a friend, Andrew, who was going to do a, a officiate a wedding for a couple. And the bride said, in the wedding vows, I want to say, I want to be true to myself. <laughs> My friend, the officiant, said, I'm pretty sure you don't want to say that. Yeah. And she goes, why? 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 And he goes, that self to which you want to be true is that you're selfish you? Your lazy self, yeah. what is that? You know. Yeah. Well, we all have that, so yeah. we, we got to learn. And then the last idea I want to share real quick is um, show them that the best life is one of support and accountability. Yeah. As you age, retain communities of support and accountability. That's the good news and bad news of community. This deepens our happiness. Um, real quick parable before we stop. I know we're, we're long here, but I remember hearing a parable that was such a great picture of this. A guy had a dream. And it was, he dreamed that night of both going to hell and heaven after mm. he died. Woo. And it was sobering. And when he was sharing about this dream to his friend, his friend said, what was the difference between... Was it the fire and, and the, the, the harps? You know, mm-hmm. what was it? He said, no. He said, the interesting thing was, in both places, we were all sitting at a large table and we were eating, or at least we were trying to eat, but... We all had spoons attached to our hands that were far too long for us to reach our mouth. So I noticed in hell, we were trying to feed ourselves, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't fit the spoon in our mouth because it was way too long. And, and, and his friend said, okay. So they were kind of starving. He said, yeah, they were perpetually starving. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, heaven, same thing. He said, yeah, in heaven, they had, we had long spoons. But in heaven, it was a different scene we were all reaching across the table to feed each other. Mm. That's the picture of we're saying, a humanities social contract is learning When I learn to feed each other, I get fed myself.
2: Mm,
0: That's so good. That's so good. Well, thank you for those four insights. Um, I thought maybe a way for us to close was actually to reference. You referenced earlier, you experienced this in your own family, right? Uh, So I wonder if you could just close by talking about how did that resolve and how was it a picture of this social contract?
2: Yeah, uh,
1: my son and daughter are both wonderful young professionals, both in great careers, but we're having these conversations in our house. And there was one particular illustration where we talked about visibility on under 40, over 40. And it was just a great conversation. And and by the way, my kids have responded so well, but we're still having the conversations yeah. even as adults. Mm,
0: that's such a great picture. And it's a great reminder of that's what it looks like. It's not a one-stop yeah. shop. It's not a one conversation and you're done. Yeah. This yeah. is an ongoing one, but here's the essential thing. We have to have the conversation. So I just want to encourage you guys, keep this conversation going. And in fact, we want to put a tool in your hands that's going to help you do that. Uh, So you've already heard about it, but there is a great new ebook, free ebook that's coming out. Tim's just finished it. It's called Leading Disengaged Teens, Helping Students Through Isolation or Rebellion by Teaching Them About Humanity's Social Contract. This is going to go over what is social contract all about and give you practical steps for how to talk about this with with your students. So you're going to want to pick up a copy of this. You can click the link in the show notes to get to it. We'd love for you to get a copy of that. Tim, thank you so much for writing it and for leading us in this conversation. Well, as always, if you want to rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. We would also appreciate it if you found this particularly helpful to go ahead and share it with somebody that you're thinking of right now, whether that's a colleague or a friend or a spouse or whomever. We would also appreciate that. Uh, if you would, uh, if you want to connect with us on online, we are at Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, whether it's stuff you think we should talk about or perhaps it's somebody you think we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, Tim, thank you once again for leading us through this very important conversation on social contract. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time.